Well, thank you for being here today. We're starting and continuing a series on the Foursquare Gospel. Um, and today we're look a little bit out of sync with the advertised schedule. Today we're going to be looking at Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. But before we go anywhere, let's come to the Lord in prayer, ready our hearts to meet with God today, because I really believe the purpose of talking about anything like Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, is so that we can meet him, so that we can go deeper with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's lift our hands, lift our hearts, engage with the Lord this afternoon. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here. And we ask you for the flowing of your Holy Spirit. We ask you today that you would begin a minister to each and every one of us. Lord, that we would catch a fresh revelation of who you are. That we would understand at a greater depth how we can walk in relationship with you. And that relationship with you would transform the relationships that we have around us. As we learn to love out of the love of the Holy Spirit. And that we would see your name glorified in and through us, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Chris last week started this series on Jesus and the four square gospel. The four square gospel represents to the four cornerstones, so to speak, of the way the Pentecostal views the gospel of Jesus Christ or who Jesus is. And we describe that in four key phrases, Savior, Healer, Baptizer in our Holy Spirit, and Soon Coming King. Now, all of these form the cornerstone perspective on how we are to understand our deepening relationship with Jesus. First, He comes to save us. Then He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, fills us with His Spirit. Then He takes us through a, 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 a walk of healing, of restoration, of renewal of the mind, so that we are prepared to live and reveal the glory of Jesus in preparation for when He returns, because we know He's returning again soon, hopefully. The sooner, the better. But the way we look around the world and the things that are happening in the world right now, that should be big alarm bells. What are we doing with our lives? Are we living for the glory of Jesus? Because all of this stuff is building towards something. It's going in the direction of uh, Jesus' return. And so we want to be living for His glory in this context. Now, when we talk about Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and also being baptized in the Holy Spirit, many people have different and varying and vast opinions on this topic. Uh, we are in a Pentecostal church. We believe very much in the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders as part and parcel of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those that would hold to a, a strong expectation of what the Holy Spirit can do uh, see lots of different variant things happening right the way through from uh, the gifts of the Spirit and tongues and interpretation and prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and uh, miracles and healings and uh, all of those nine gifts of the Spirit, they would expect that, but then they would also expect God to be doing amazing, amazing things in their midst, pe people being healed, amazing uh, testimonies of restoration or situational change because of the role of the Holy Spirit. And there are different emphases, different flavors, different focuses within that vast range. But there are a, a large and strong group of people who are very uncomfortable with this whole expression of the Holy Spirit uh, because of some of the extremities that are found within this expression of uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, so to speak. And so they are sitting very much on the other side. We have the, the Word of God. We have the security of the Word of God, what God teaches, what God says, who Jesus is. That's all we need. All of this supernatural spiritual stuff, you know, that's kind of dangerous and kind of let's just stick it on the shelf and that doesn't happen anymore. And what this is known as, this position, is known as cessationism, the gifts of the Spirit as having ceased. 
not needed anymore, not required anymore. And they don't just live at opposite ends of the spectrum, um, peacefully coexisting. There is a lot of talk that happens between these two groups. And, and some have gone to the extent where they would seek to say, well, listen, these gifts of the Spirit, they are completely wrong. They're not of God. Some people go so far as to say that speaking in tongues is of the devil, and they encourage people not to do it. On the other side, you have people saying, well, it's in the Bible. Let's do it because it says it right there in Scripture. And so you have people prohibiting and people enabling. And there's all kinds of fear and concern around this. Now, prohibition is not the way forward in this situation. Saying you cannot do that is not the way forward because people are having experiences of the Spirit and then they're saying, well, God's doing this in me and you're telling me I can't do it, so what do I do? You know, where am I at? Simply saying don't do it is not the scriptural measure, neither is it Jesus' measure. Jesus teaches us a much more mature approach and it's in this context that we want to present what this idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is and what consequence it has on your life. And the context is this, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, and this is the key phrase, by their fruits you will know them. So when we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and everything that happens as a consequence of this, of this, we can discern what is right and what is wrong because of the fruit that is born in that person's life. And that's the call of God upon our lives to become a people of discernment. It says that one of the gifts of the Spirit is discerning of spirits. How can we determine and discern what God is doing or what something else is doing in this situation? Well, we discern as using one of the tools that Jesus has given us through observing what the fruit of somebody's life is. And when we start to look in who the Spirit is, what the Spirit does, it becomes quite easy for us to begin to go along this route. Wow. You know, that person's, uh, whatever that's going on for them, is producing individualism, isolationist, complaining, backbiting, hating other people. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. But this person, they're experiencing with the Holy Spirit, and they're going deeper in their relationships with one another. They're learning to speak words of life to one another. They're learning to walk in open relationships, loving relationships, not open two or three or four people in one couple relationships, some of you might understand what that's what I mean by open. I don't mean that. I mean transparent relationships where people are walking open-hearted towards one another, walking in truth towards one another. That's fruitful. That's fruit of the Spirit. And we can begin to discern, okay? So this is the framework that I'd like to present this to you in because so many of us will be coming with different perspectives. Am I word-based? Am I spirit-based? Should we not talk in tongues in public? Should we not do this and should we not do that? All of those kind of questions hopefully will be brought together today under this presentation. Now, we have just had a whole series on baptism in the Spirit and the nine gifts of the Spirit, so I'm trying to look for a bit of a fresh angle here today. And really what I want to do is try and step back from a, a focus on the gifts of the Spirit to look at the wider aspects of what the Holy Spirit does, who He is, how He transforms our lives, with also a focus on the fact that we do have gifts of the Spirit that are consequential, but what does the Holy Spirit change in all of us? And I believe that there's a core message found in Romans 5, verse 30, uh, 3 through 5, um, that, that kinds of points us in, the, in a core direction of what the Holy Spirit is intended to do in our lives. It says in Romans 5, 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, 
And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. We all know the the great passage in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is expressed in meekness, kindness, goodness, self-control, long-suffering, etc., etc. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Jesus also said that if you obey the great two, two great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, you are fulfilling the entirety of the law. So love as a central theme, love as the fruit which is born in our hearts, has got to be the perspective as which we see this baptism in the Holy Spirit in its fullest sense. Now, let's ask a question, who is the Holy Spirit? I know that we all know Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but what does that mean? Who is He? Because some people have different perspectives of the Holy Spirit. Some people think of the Father as the biggest one, Jesus is the sort of the middle one, and then the Holy Spirit is the little one. Or some people have this idea that the Holy Spirit is sort of just the sit alongside you, help a friend, without recognizing it's through Him that the entirety of creation is made via the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is, just for our interest and perspective, is the third person of the Trinity. Three persons, one being, fully God, equal in every way to the Father and the Son, expressed as the Holy Spirit, the very embodiment of love. And it's through Him that we gain a revelation of who Jesus is and who the Father is. The Holy Spirit is given to us as the present mediator of, of the nature of God in our lives. It's by the Holy Spirit who, that we know who God is. In John 14, verse 17, it says, I will give you the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this Holy Spirit who comes to reveal to us the love of God, who comes to shed abroad the love of God in our hearts, is the Holy Spirit who brings forth our identity. It is the spirit of adoption by whom we know we are sons and daughters. It causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, to God. It is the Holy Spirit that brings forth fruit in our lives, that fruit where people look at you and they just sense there's something different about you. This person must be a Christian. I heard about somebody who goes to work and all of his friends know he's a Christian and he's never told them. It's simply because of the way that he is with them. He reveals something of the fruit of the Spirit. This same Holy Spirit who brings us into a sense of adoption, who brings forth fruit in our lives, also gifts us for the life that we're called to live as Christians. Powerful lives where we walk in the revelation of God and we're able to see heaven expressed on earth as we see people healed, as we see people restored, as we see miracles happen, as we see the impossible become possible. The same Holy Spirit is also the seal to us of our inheritance. It's how we know that we know that we know that we're going to be in heaven. Now, how many of you here know that you already have received the Holy Spirit? Fantastic. You should have massive smiles on your face. Like smiles so big that it's like stretching your ear to ear. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in you is God's promise to you that you're going to go to heaven. It is the absolute promise of God, the down payment on your life, the seal, the certainty that you will see Christ in heaven. 
I think we could be a little bit happier about that. <laughs> Otherwise, what are we doing, doing here? <laughs> he is the seal of our inheritance. He is also our helper. Jesus promised us the helper who would come alongside us, who would show us the way, who would reveal truth to us, who would lead us in the way which honors God. He is also our sanctifier, the one that purifies us, that makes us to be in the image of Jesus, that helps us deal with the issues of the flesh where we still choose submission or slavery to sin. Rather, let's put aside the slavery to sin and choose slavery to righteousness, to choose glorifying God, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you see that the Holy Spirit actually has a massive role in your life. If He's here, to show you who you are in Christ, to bring forth fruit in your life, to empower you with gifts, to give you certainty of eternal life, he's got a pretty big deal to play in our lives. Amen? Maybe just dwell on that for a moment. Because when Jesus said, I am giving you the Holy Spirit, he was not shortchanging us. Some people are like, well, you know, if only Jesus was still on the earth. You know, what we do is we try and fly to where he's at and then stand in the queue and wait to meet him when we can sit right here and meet with him because the Holy Spirit's here with us. It's very different, right? But he wants us to begin to know that this relationship that we're walking in with the Holy Spirit, the potential of this is radical, transformational. Think about this. The Holy Spirit is the one through whom the entirety of this universe was created. The entirety of this universe created by the Spirit. Now, if you could start to walk in right relationship with the Holy Spirit, think about the ways that the kingdom of heaven could be established in your life and in your surrounding through the same Spirit. We just seem to look at the world as if this is the broken world that we're going to have to put up with forever. No, there's going to come a new heavens and a new earth. But in the interim, we can also see the kingdom of heaven established here on the earth. Imagine what you could do or what God could do through you as you start to walk in deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that is God's intent. God's intent isn't that we just become Christians that hang on and make it till, till heaven comes. No, we're supposed to be people that every day become more and more like Jesus. Now, let me ask you a, a difficult question. When was the last time that on your reflection you identified that you're getting more and more like Jesus? Probably most of us would say. But that's a trajectory that he's called us to. Paul was able to say, imitate me like I imitate Christ. He was doing it, and so he was reproducing it. So surely we should be able to do the same, right? Surely that should be the call of God upon our life, to become people that become like Jesus, because that's the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God intends it. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, he promises it. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, this new heart is a heart which can choose to obey God. And a new spirit is a strength by which we are empowered to live for him. Now, we've presented elsewhere um, our perspective on why tongues is a central primary sign for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can go research it on the internet. Just go to kt.org forward slash media and look through the different series is there. Um, but I want to ask you a question. Why do you think there's such a focus 
on the speech gifts in the list of the gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, tongues. Four out of the nine gifts of the Spirit listed involve the way that we speak. New heart, new spirit. If I can just insert this, this verse here, I hope that you don't think I'm taking liberties by doing so, but Jesus said this, Luke 6, verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. New heart, new spirit. New heart, what comes out is different. Get it? New heart, new spirit. We receive the spirit. What comes out of our heart is different. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. See, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, there's something radical that happens on the inside. We are made so new that what starts to come out of our mouth is entirely different to what used to come out. Now, if I think back to it, when I was an educated man in university, every second or third word that came out of my mouth was a four-letter word. And I know that many of you might even be wrestling with this today. But soon after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was sitting there reflecting. I was like, suddenly, I feel a bit more intellectual than I was before. I'm not swearing. But really, it wasn't about being intellectual. It's about God was changing something on the inside of me. So today, I really don't even think Rebecca's heard me say a swear word. I don't know. She hasn't. Hallelujah. That's three years. Let's hope that keeps going on. Amen. But something had changed. What was coming out was different to what was previously coming out. But the Holy Spirit that comes into us primarily, firstly, in the initial instant, brings out something very different from our mouths that we perhaps were not in a position to say before, and that is this. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. I choose to walk with you. I choose to follow you. I choose to submit my life to your ways. That was a transformation that happened as a consequence of the Spirit operating in your life. Amen? So let's come back to this verse that I read before, John 14, 17. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you? Does God have a higher order of life available for us than just the same as what the world experiences? Does he have a higher level of life than just the same as it always was, except now I spend my Sundays in church when before I used to spend my Sundays watching the football or in the pub having a breakfast after my hangover? What is changing? What is different? Because if nothing has changed, there's a whole lot more for us to step into. If you're just where you were, there's a whole gospel of Jesus Christ for you to begin to experience and go deeper in your experience with. In fact, you could spend the whole of your life going deeper with God and still not get to the bottom. What a great way to spend our lives. What would it look like if we were to live life as God intends for us to live life? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in abundance. So abundant life would be looking like what Jesus wants us to look like. Now, does that mean I'm rich, famous, got a nice car, got a nice house, got a nice wife or husband, got three kids, 
don't have to work too hard because I've done my hard yards. Is that the abundant life? Or is there something deeper? Is there something more? To understand what God has created us for, we've got to go back to the beginning. We've got to take it right from the very beginning with Adam and Eve and then take it on from there. Because how were we originally created to be? And how did we die? And how are we reaping the consequences of that death in every day until we come to the revelation of Christ and then walk in a deeper revelation of Jesus? In Genesis 2 verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. That can also be said as a spirit-filled being. The way that man was created, Adam was created, right at the very beginning, was to be one who carried the presence of the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God in portion, in him, him plugged into God, walking with God, living for God. Connected to God every day, walking with God every day, making decisions with God every day, naming the animals, determining the limits and bounds, walking in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's how we were created to be. But then we see in the continuation of this Genesis account, the fall. And the fall is a very key image to look to when we think about this whole issue of why do we even need the baptism of the Spirit? Where does it come from? If we're created to be this people that carry the presence of God, where did it get taken away and how do we get it back? As they were walking through the garden, they came to the tree which is in the midst of the garden and God has said to them, you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the Spirit said to the woman, you will not surely die. And so they ate the fruit. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And right here, we see the death of mankind as we were intended. They obviously didn't die. They're clothing themselves now. But this first couple, as they took that bite of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened. But in the opening of their eyes came the closing of their spiritual eyes. In the onset of their conscience, the knowledge of good and evil, their innocence recedes. Fear begins to take hold of them. They withdraw from his presence into a place of hiding. They lose their freedom and descend into sin slavery. They give up the eternal life that God had promised to them and in exchange submit to death. This can be summed up in two words, spiritual death. Or they lost the Holy Spirit on the inside. And because Adam is all of our predecessor, not the monkey, Through this, death has come to all of us. Every single one of us, even though we have not committed the same sin of eating the same fruit because we are born of the same parents, are born under original sin. Now, original sin is one of these issues that a lot of people increasingly saying, you can't teach about that, you can't preach about that. Well, it's in the Scripture, so I'm going to. I'm sorry. 
because it helps us understand where we're coming from. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Many died through this one man's trespass. Many died. In fact, death reigns through us all. So Adam's sin led to the death of all mankind, led to the subjection of creation until redemption. So the entirety not only of mankind, but also this earth and everything that we see in it has been subjected to this death until redemption. And that's why in Romans 8 verse uh, 20 it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so everything that we see has been subjected to death until we see new heavens and new earth will it be restored in its entirety. And just as a sideline, I'm looking forward to seeing those lions lying down with the lambs and all the other animals that are going to be cruising around because it will be all redeemed as part of creation under our restoration and redemption as human beings. And when we see this broken world, this is what we see the Holy Spirit seeking to break into. This is what we seek to see the Holy Spirit transforming, bringing life, bringing the truth, bringing the gospel hope into. The Holy Spirit, who we see in the Old Testament, on a few people, prophets, kings, priests, individuals, moving in the power of the Spirit, seeing miracles, seeing words of wisdom, seeing prophecy, seeing healing, seeing resurrections, all foretastes, four signs of what the Spirit is to do, is all culminated when we see Jesus the baptizer appearing on the scene. See, Jesus, we believe, is the Son of God. Scripture reveals Him to be God, who chose to clothe Himself in flesh, and walk around amongst us. And when God came to walk around amongst us in human form, he was not in the same mold as Adam because he was born as a virgin, uh, of a virgin. And because he was born of a virgin, he was born of the same type, but not under the same sin. As Adam was, but in perfection. And so he begins to walk out on our earth. He begins to demonstrate what life looks like. We see at his baptism, the same spirit of sonship. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased as the Holy Spirit descends upon him. We see him then stepping out in power to do the work of the ministry. This is Jesus beginning to show us what it looks like for us human beings to walk as temples of the Holy Spirit, to walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. He shows us how to give away that which was handed down and gains death and rather to receive that which is free and learn to walk in the experience of his life. Now when Jesus went to the cross for us to reveal the love of the Father, he paid the price of forgiveness to, to turn away the wrath of God and to restore us to our original creation mandate, to be carriers of the Holy Spirit, to be carriers of the presence of God. And when our resurrection is complete, we will be much better than Adam 
because we'll be wearing the robes of righteousness that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, this Jesus, God, walking around in the flesh, John the Baptist says of him, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then Jesus himself says to his disciples in Acts 1, verse 4 to 5, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So through the cross, Through the death on the cross, Jesus paid man's debt of sin. Through his resurrection, he bought us the gift of eternal life. In his exaltation, he receives the right from the Father to pour out the Holy Spirit indiscriminately. And in our regeneration, we receive the indwelling presence of the Spirit. God taking up residence in us as temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us hopefully have been baptized. If you're here and you've not been baptized and you've been following Jesus for more than a day, you need to be here with us on the 28th of September for water baptism service. Don't wait two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it takes. People in the Bible got baptized the day that they believed. Oh, but I don't want to sin after I get baptized because that might mean I lose your salvation. Remember the Holy Spirit, the one who affirms to you your eternal security in Christ? Does he ever leave you? No. When do you receive him? After you get baptized. Right? Normally. Not every time. Normally. So come and get baptized. The biggest decision you ever made was to get saved. Baptism is just the same as that. I need you, Jesus. Okay, get baptized. Same decision. Not, I need you, Jesus. Okay, now I need to stir up my my faith to get baptized. But when you got baptized, you went down into the water, and hopefully if you had merciful Uh, dunkers. We trained our dunkers to be merciful. They kept you down there for less than a second. So you went down and you popped straight back up. But in that moment, a powerful spiritual thing happened. The old life washed away, raised into the resurrection life of Jesus. See Romans 6 for more information on that. But this baptism is different. You popped up out of the waters of baptism, but this baptism in the Holy Spirit is different because Jesus takes you and he dunks you in the Holy Spirit and he never brings you out. And you live a life that is empowered by the Spirit of God. You live a life where you seek to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus didn't just die to clean us up from sin. He died so that we could be restored to our original creation mandate, temples of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 17, 18, quoting Joel 2, 28 to 29. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Because of what God has done, because what Jesus has done for us, it is possible for us to carry the presence of God walking around every single day, glorifying God. You know, this should be one of your biggest prayers. If you see a problem person, a person that is just a pain in the backside, you know, you know what you should be praying for them? Holy Spirit, fall on them, fall on them, fall on them, fall on them. 
Because it's the Holy Spirit that brings newness. It's the Holy Spirit that brings life. It's the Holy Spirit that brings transformation. It's the Holy Spirit that brings forth fruit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers for sanctified living. It's the Holy Spirit that enables you to glorify Jesus. Oh dear Jesus, help them with their problems. Pour out your Spirit on them, Lord. Some of you look like you need to pour out the Holy Spirit on you. So the day that Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on all flesh, that to us is Pentecost. Forty days after he died on the cross, ten days after he ascended to heaven, fifty days, Pentecost, works, right? He pours out the Holy Spirit on the Jews in the Jewish church first. And we see 3,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost. Now, that's the contrast, the 3,000 that are said to have died in the giving of the law at Mount Sinai under Moses, under the Jewish traditions. Well, that's the Jews. What about the rest of us? You see, no, that was just a foretaste because then what happens in Acts 10 in Cornelius' household is Peter shows up, sent by God, commissioned by God to see Jesus baptize these new believers into the Holy Spirit. And Peter's amazed. He's like, God gave them the Holy Spirit too. The Gentiles are included. They were praying in tongues and they were prophesying. This must mean that the Holy Spirit and salvation are for all of us. Now, any Gentiles in the place today? Amen. Some of you know that we're not Jews. But you're saved. But you received the Holy Spirit. Because in the special love that God revealed for the people of Israel, He revealed the universal love that He had for you and for me. And it is because of the message that is brought through the Jews that we today are able to benefit from the great message of salvation in Jesus Christ. We are loved in the same way. God has chosen the special, the Jews, but we are loved in the same way by the same passionate God and given the same benefits, the same inheritance, the same salvation. So let's pray that they would too be saved and come to experience what is natural to them where we have been grafted in. Amen? So we too can begin to walk in the power of the gospel, which is being filled with the Spirit as new creations in Christ Jesus. And that looks like us beginning to bear fruit and gifts. The love of God, the spirit of adoption, the seal of inheritance, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, knowing that we are secure in our salvation. All of us know what this looks like. I mean, you might think that I'm talking in theological terms, but maybe one day you were just walking along and sitting in church and you heard someone preach on the Trinity, maybe Colin Dyer, senior minister. And before you'd been like, what are these Christians on about? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then suddenly the lights went on. I get it. I mean, I don't really get it because it's a mystery, but I get it. Or we're sitting there and suddenly clarity comes because a word begins to make sense in our hearts and we begin to find a fire, passion burning in our hearts because we know God has done something in us. Or we are facing a difficult situation where before you'd have freaked out, you would have panicked, you'd have tried to control it, you'd have run away, you'd have done whatever you could to, to make this situation subject to you. And yet God gives you the strength in the new way you're facing it to walk through by faith, to apply the wisdom of God, to love people even when they are most unlovable and treating you like an enemy. 
See, these are the practical ways that this experience with the Spirit begins to work out. Sometimes you might find yourself praying in tongues, and then suddenly you're praying about a situation or a friend or a family member who you've not seen for ages, and then you call them up and they're like, yeah, I was going through this situation, and you're like, I knew it, I was praying for you. This is something of what the life of the Spirit looks like. Now, there's so much more that we haven't even begun to touch. In the book of Acts, people are transported from one location to another location. They walk through prison doors. They are fed supernaturally. They're able to run faster than chariots. They're able to cause cripples to stand up and walk, the dead to be raised, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. This is all potential in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we're just like, that's all I'm going to pray in tongues for, Lord. That's my 30 seconds done to you. There's so much more that God has for us. So much more. And this God who has died so that we can have this gift wants you to have the Holy Spirit. Some people are still under this bondage. Oh, God's giving it to everybody else except for me. No, God died so that you could have this gift. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you could have this gift. And if it consequentially results in a change in the way you speak. We prefer to see tongues because it's an evident supernatural sign that something has happened. But if you're prophesying, if you're speaking about Christ in a way that you never knew before by revelation, they're equally signs that the Holy Spirit has affected you, has taken up residence in you because there's a change in speech, change of what comes out of your mouth. You shall dream dreams, you shall prophesy. That is the promise. If you dream dreams that are led by the Spirit and prophesy according to the will of God, it is a sign that you've received this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what does it all for? Everything, power gifts, signs and wonders, the Christian life is all centered around Living what Jesus called us to live. The greatest command. By your love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. This new command I give to you, therefore, that you love one another. That you love one another. All of it centers around you being able to love God and learning to love the people around you. Oh, I've only got 5% of love to give. Well, ask God for his 100% and then give that away. And he'll give you another 100% and love somebody else with it. And he'll give you another 100% and keep loving people. Keep loving people. Keep loving people. It's a great way to see your life transformed for his glory. See, there's a verse that's been challenging me a lot recently. Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I want you to think about that. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I'll show you how we normally consider one another. They're looking in a bad mood today. Something must have happened to them. Or maybe this is that thing they do, that depression thing they do. Yeah, they always do that depression thing. They just get down. They just get difficult. I mean, if they prayed more, if they prayed more, then they would, they would be free of it. They just need to go away and declare in the name of Jesus, I bind this spirit of depression. Hallelujah. Okay, go and do it. Oh, I feel good now. I feel good. 
I've discerned what's going on with that person. I've seen that it's that spirit of depression. I understand what they're going through. I don't have to encourage them. I don't have to go and speak with them. I'll just wait till they've come out the other side of that depression thing, and then I'll help them. Maybe you haven't done that, but you've done something similar, you know, where the judgment has come, where the you don't like me, I don't like you thing has come. But it says, consider one another to stir up love. I don't know how many of us know how to do that. I'm, I'm trying to learn. You trying to learn? How do we stir up somebody to love? How do we stir up somebody to engage with the world around them? How do we stir them up to be the Christ in that they're called to be, to be somebody that reveals the glory of God. The glory of God is the love of the Father, for God is love. How do we stir people up to begin to engage with the world around them in that? That's a mandate. That's the call. That's what Jesus asked us to do. We could spend the rest of our life walking out this true purpose of the Holy Spirit in us, the one that Jesus has taken us and immersed us in, calling us to learn to walk in the love of the Spirit of God so that we reveal the Father. willing to try? Are you willing to think about how that affects your life? Are you willing to be the Christian that loves people as we leave this place? Even if they're shouting at you, even if they're stuffing things in your face, even if they're barging you out of the way when you get to the tube station, are we prepared to love? Are we prepared to go deeper with this? Because that's the purpose of this baptism of the Spirit, to reveal the commandment of Jesus in the way that we love. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here tonight. And Lord, we believe, Lord, that there is something of challenge here for us today. Maybe we've had a small view of your Holy Spirit. Maybe we've had a small view of our role and purpose in our walk with you. Maybe we've diminished that command to love. Maybe we've explained all of the people around us for their bad examples, and therefore we excuse ourselves from our responsibility. But Lord, today I ask you in the name of Jesus that you'd begin to stir up something afresh in our hearts. By our fruit, they would know us. By the love that flows out of our hearts, they would know us that the gifts would be a demonstration of love, that the fruits would be an expression of our love because we know that your love has been abroad in our hearts. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus that you'd begin to heal our hearts. If we are unable to love because we've got an old heart, a heart that is wounded, that is broken, that is downcast, that is untrusting, that has got so many walls around it that nobody ever gets a look in, Father, we ask you to take that hard heart from us and give us a heart of flesh, a new heart that is renewed by the Spirit, that is empowered by the Spirit, that enables us to walk in a deeper revelation of your love so that we can begin to love the people around us. Love them in the context of your truth and your grace. To show them that you are the loving Father who calls them higher, who calls them to become like Christ and helps them leave behind the slavery to sin. Lord, would you do something in our hearts today? Lord, there are so many arguments that we could have with uh, neighbors, with our 
uh, people who don't believe in Jesus, even other Christians. But Lord, we don't want to argue. We want to reveal the love of Christ. We want to do the primary thing that you called us to do. And we recognize to do that, we need your Holy Spirit. So if you're here today and you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. Hopefully that's all of us. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, every raised hand, you who are our good Father who is in heaven, who knows how to give us good gifts, Lord, I pray that you'd give the gift of your Holy Spirit to all of your children. A new heart and a new spirit upon your people. Lord Jesus, that you would take each and every individual and you would immerse us afresh in the Spirit of God. That we'd be radically transformed from the inside out. And Lord, that we'd be a people that know how to operate, receiving your love and handing it out. Receiving your grace and showing people your grace. Receiving your truth and showing people your truth. Lord, that you'd show us how to step out as men and as women in a way which reveals your glory, in a way which reveals who you've created us to be. And that a powerful move would happen from the ground up as families start to move in the power of the Spirit, as couples start to move in the fruit of the Spirit, as communities come together, knit together by a love for Christ and love one another, not because of a loyalty to a church or a loyalty to a denomination, but a loyalty that comes from loving one another and having loved one another through trial, through tribulation, through challenge, through struggle, in the good times and in the bad, revealing Christ along the way. We need a change, Lord. We need a fresh focus on this core command Everything else we're chasing, materialism, individual agendas, our own lordship. We need to lay it aside for the lordship of Christ, the agenda of Christ, and the community of the saints that are called together to glorify Jesus. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. That something new begins to happen in our lives. If you're here today and you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know that you want to speak in tongues. And, and, uh, or something like that, please come and see me straight away after the service. I'll pray for you. But I hope for the rest of you that there's a challenge and a consideration that this fruit of the Spirit becomes a central revelation of Jesus in your life and the way that you relate to one another. See, because love needs to be exercised towards an object. You can't just love space. You love an individual. You love a group. You love people. You express it in relationship. Please don't say, I love my car. You might like your car a lot, but it's not love. Learn to love one another. Remove all those barriers that are in the way, the things that are inadequate replacements. Get rid of your Facebook when you're talking with your friends. Don't be on your phone, all that kind of stuff. But rather be focusing on how you can love that individual. Rather be focusing on how you can show the glory of God to them. Don't hide behind the newspapers. Hide behind the computer games. Hide behind the movies. 
Rather, engage with the person who's right in front of you who God has given you to love because in them, you'll have an encounter with God that can change you. Amen.